You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out SouthHillsBurbank.com. And uh, in this series, we're talking about how do you and I decipher hearing the voice of God? Today's message is not going to be one of those messages that is only for moms. It is going to be for everyone in the room. That how do we understand and how do we decipher the voices in our life, the things that are speaking to us, to know which ones are the ones we should listen to and which are the ones that we need to push out. Now, I don't know about you. If you're a note taker, grab a note sheet in the back or a copy of a Bible. Last week, we talked about God's word and how God speaks to us through his word. And that's why we need to stay connected to it and read it and listen to it. That's why certain things need to happen in the way that we observe God's word and get into small groups and and study and do all of those things. And so I would encourage you to to begin that process if you haven't. But today we're going to talk specifically about others, the people in our life, the voices of those around us that we listen to. And I don't know if you've ever had these types of moments where you've maybe extended yourself yourself. You've done something in your life where you thought you were doing your best. You thought you were putting your best foot forward. You thought you were putting your heart and your soul and all of your energy into something. Maybe it was for like when you threw a birthday party for for your kid or you tried to throw a surprise party for someone and you like did everything that you could think of and you like went out and bought like really special plates and you thought it was amazing and like that's all you did and then you realized that your friend is a much better party thrower thrower than you and uh, they did like the pinatas and the plates and the decorations and a cake that was like animated and it actually moved with remote controls and it was voice controlled for their children so they could speak to it and the cake would speak back to them. Like one of those moments where you realize that you're really not that good at what you thought you were good at. I don't know if you've ever had these moments, but usually what happens is that we, we think something is going well. We think we've put all of it into something. And then usually someone will say something very kind to us that's not so kind. And it digs a little deep. It reminds us that we're not that great. Maybe this has happened to you online. Maybe you've posted a photo to social media and somebody kind of commented you thought it was something great and then they pointed out the one flaw in the photo and that's all you remember because you got like 75 positive comments but you got one negative and that one negative is the one you remember the most. Maybe something happened at work or maybe at a park or or maybe at the grocery store. Something happened and it's just stuck with you and it's a reminder to you that what you thought was great wasn't so great or so you think. And then what usually happens is when we have these experiences, we become disheartened about it and we tell ourselves, well, we just need to shake it off. They don't really mean what they said. Maybe it was, it was just something in passing. They didn't really mean it. Oftentimes it comes from our own children. If you have children and your kids say things to you sometimes and it just digs at you and you just keep telling yourself, ah, oh, he didn't mean it, she didn't mean it, but... She still said it, and so you try to shake it off, but you simply can't. You just can't let it go. And the reason why this happens, and this is where I want to lean in this morning very quickly, is this idea that so much of who we believe we are, so much of who we believe we are and what we believe we're capable of comes from the conversations that we have with others. If you've never thought about this, so much of who you believe you are And what you think you are capable of comes from the conversations that you have had with other people. Maybe it was when you were a kid. And in school, everybody told you how not smart you are. It was just constantly repeated to you that you would never get far enough. You would never know enough. You couldn't pass the test. You just weren't, weren't good enough. Or maybe it was in your first marriage, and that's why it was your first marriage. 
but you were constantly told how you aren't good enough, that you'll never be a good parent, relationships that you've had with, with your parents. Maybe it was something that was spoken over you in the home when you were a kid. But I think everybody has to say at some point how much the voices that they are listening to has affected them. Because it will determine who you believe you are and what you believe you are capable of in life when we start to listen to the voices. So the question then is, how do you and I know which voices are worth listening to? How do we decipher that? How do we create some type of filter to allow those voices to pass through so we know whether or not those are voices that we should be listening to? And that's what I want to lean in on this morning. See, most of us would probably agree, even if you're not a a church person, you would probably still agree with this, that if there was a God in heaven, and if you believe that maybe there's some greater power, some greater existence in this church, we would believe that that greater existence is God. But if you believe that there was some greater power out there, God, just for the sake of this conversation, and you believe that he cared about you, then I would want to know everything that God says about me. Because whatever God says about me is going to carry more weight than what other people maybe say about me. What God thinks about me is going to carry more weight. And the trouble is this, that throughout Scripture, God spoke to people through other people. So how do you and I know which ones are speaking on behalf of God? How do we have the reception to hear God's voice being spoken through others? Because I think God's speaking to us all the time through various means. And one of those means through the people that he places in our lives. But we have to figure out how to hear it. And we have to figure out which voices are not the right ones. So this morning, I want to lean in on a story. It's found in the Old Testament. It's a story about two women. These two women who are kind of in a bit of a crisis of their own. They're in the middle of their own life crisis. Things around them have been falling apart. And they come to a point where they're not really sure how to move forward. They start to believe the voices around them. They start to believe who they are and what they can do by the voices of culture around them. And the two people in this story are two women by the name of Naomi and Ruth. Ruth is actually a book in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, you can go there. If you have an app, you can uh, open up to Ruth chapter 1. We're not going to look through all of it. The, the book of Ruth has so much good stuff in it, but we just can't, we don't have the time this morning to dive into all of it. So let me give you a quick backstory of what's happening up to the point that we're going to start. Naomi has a husband. His name is Elimelech. They're living in the country of Judah. And Judah is going to experience a famine. And so because Judah is experiencing a famine, they have to leave Judah for another country that's not experiencing a famine so they don't die. So they go to the country of Moab, and they leave with their family, Naomi, her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons. As they're in this new country of Moab, the two sons meet Moabite women from that country. That country is not a country that understands God or worships God. They have, they have other gods that they follow, and so her sons meet two girls that, that don't understand who God is. One of them, her name is Orpah, spelled very similar to Oprah, but it's not Oprah, the other is Ruth. The, the name Orpah always threw me as a kid. I was like, that's where Oprah got her name, but I, don't, I have no idea. 
uh, and Ruth. So the two sons, Naomi's two sons, marry two women, Orpah and Ruth. And then, tragically, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. A little while later, she finds out that her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, can't have children. So because both of her daughter-in-laws are now barren, she's feeling this weight of, well, the family name stops here. And then, tragically, her two sons die. And you can imagine the feeling that Naomi has now, that feeling of abandonment, the feeling of loss, the grief, the pain. All of those things begin to well up within Naomi because what she thought life was going to be, it simply isn't going to be what she thought it once was going to be that she was going to be married, that she was going to have these kids, that they were going to have tons of kids, and they were going to all have grandkids, and life was going to be this amazing thing living in Judah. But she finds herself living in a foreign country without a husband, without her two sons, and with two barren daughter-in-laws. And so she does what any good mother-in-law would do in chapter 1, verse 20. She tells her daughters-in-law to go home. She says, look, I'm cursed. <laughs> you guys just go home. Go back to the country in which you were born. And so she says to them in chapter 1, verse 20 of the book, Ruth, do not call me Naomi, and the name Naomi means pleasant. Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. In other words, don't think of me as a pleasant woman anymore. I am bitter. I am going to become the bitter old lady that nobody wants to be around, so please just leave me alone. For the Almighty has dealt with very, very bitterly with me. I went away full. I came to this country of Moab full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. He's taken everything from me. So why call me Naomi or pleasant when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So she tells her daughters-in-law to go. Get away. Go home. You don't want anything to do with me. The fundamental question that Naomi is wrestling with in this moment is the same fundamental question that you and I wrestle with on a regular basis. Who am I? Who am I? Her her identity has been stripped from her, or so she thinks. She believes that her purpose, her identity, who she is, is gone. And part of this is because of loss. Part of it is because of tragedy that she's experienced. But the biggest part of it is because of the voices of the culture around her and how she's interpreting the loss and tragedy that's happened. See, in her culture, they believe that bad things happen to bad people, and that when something bad happens to you, you're simply being punished for the wrong that you did. And so without your husband or your sons, life is essentially over for Naomi. She can't move forward. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have sons. Nothing can be done with the rest of her existence. She has nothing left to offer anyone around her. She's simply too old to remarry. She's too old to give birth again. The best that you could hope for is just to be a bitter, beggar, old woman and live out the rest of your existence however you possibly can. And that's what culture would be speaking to Naomi. And if she chose to, she could listen to those voices. She could allow those voices to change her. But there's another voice in her life. And that voice is from Ruth. Because Ruth doesn't see Naomi that way. Matter of fact, Ruth loves Naomi. She admires Naomi. She is loyal to Naomi to the point where Ruth is willing to give up her entire young life to care for her. 
even though she is not obligated by culture to do so. Ruth has no obligation to Naomi. She simply could have left, just like Orpah did, because Orpah did leave. When given the option, Orpah went back home, but Ruth decides to stay, and, and so Ruth begins to speak life into Naomi. She is the voice of God in Naomi's life. So check this out in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. It says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will, uh, there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. The more and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. In other words, Naomi, there is no way on earth you are getting rid of me. I am going to be glued to you. Because you have more value than you think. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Naomi listened to the voice in her life that was speaking life. And she realized that this young woman, Ruth, was not going to leave her side. That she wouldn't let her go. She wouldn't let her just drift off into her bitter beggar lifestyle. She wanted to stay with her, to sit in the middle of her pain and her grief and remind Naomi who she is. There's something powerful happening in this relationship, but this relationship is not one-sided. Because the same way God uses Ruth to speak life into Naomi, God uses Naomi to speak life into Ruth because what Ruth is now challenged with is is another question. I think it's the second greatest question that we will wrestle with in life outside of who am I, our identity. We begin to wrestle with this other question, what do I do? What is my purpose? Why am I here on this earth? Why has God placed me here in this time right now? What does he want me to do? What do I do? That is Ruth's question. Because Ruth is now a young woman who would probably like to remarry and have kids, And how you go about that would have been more complicated now than it would just seem on the surface. Because culture, once again, the voices of culture are speaking something very different to Ruth. That wealthy people don't marry poor people. And Ruth has nothing. Jews don't marry non-Jews. They were going to be moving back to Judah. And so her, being a Moabite woman, would not get the chance to marry A Moabite, she would be in a Jewish country, and Jews don't marry non-Jews at this time period. The most eligible bachelor would not typically want to marry a non-Jew. And so Ruth would be stuck in this mindset because of what culture is saying to her, that even though she has a lot of life left to live, she doesn't have much existence to live for. So her question of what do I do is completely blurred if she would listen to those voices. If she were to look around and start comparing herself to everyone else, she would probably conclude that even her best wouldn't be good enough. So she might as well just give up entirely. That she'll never get to do what God wanted her to do in the first place. She'll never be who she thought she was going to be. That life is pretty much over. And she starts to sink into this mindset. Because there's a guy that she has her eye on. And there's a guy that has his eye on her. But she doesn't think it would ever happen. She doesn't think it could happen. And then Naomi 
begins to speak life into her. And so Naomi begins to act as the voice of God in Ruth's life, and she speaks life into Ruth. So check this out. This is amazing in Ruth chapter 3. So they've now traveled back to Judah. They're there. Naomi and Ruth are together. They meet this man named Boaz. Boaz is a wealthy man. He's a hardworking man. Scripture actually calls him a man of valor. He was honorable above all standards. So Naomi says this. And then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, this is Naomi, the mother-in-law, getting ready to give advice to this young woman, Ruth, on how to move forward and how to meet a man. So if that's you this morning and you need to figure out how to meet a man, here you go. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? In other words, you've told me some of your dreams. I can help you get there. So Ruth, let let me help you get to where I believe you want to be. Is not Boaz our relative? That doesn't mean what you think it means. With whose young women you were. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. In other words, I've lived here my whole life. Let me tell you about how it works here. Because Naomi's not from here, or Ruth's not from here, Naomi is. So Naomi's going to say, listen, the, the, the culture's different here. So let me, let me help you understand how to meet a man in this culture. So now Naomi's going to try to speak life into her. So verse 3, extremely important. Wash. Take a, take a bath, Ruth. You smell <laughs> Okay, like she's, like literally, that's what she's telling her to do. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. In other words, put some oils on that smell good, because right now, you don't smell too good. Take a shower, clean up a little bit, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man. Play kind of hard to get until he has finished eating and drinking. In other words, what is she saying? Right now, you are trapped in the friend zone. And he doesn't see you as much more than a friend. And so I'm trying to help you to break out of that. So let me tell you how to send the right signal. Take a shower. Put on some nice nice clothes. Wait for him to finish work. Wait till after he's had something to eat. Wait till he's relaxed a little bit because he can't hear anything you say until he's eaten something. Until his mind and and his body is resting and relaxed. And then he will notice you. So just, just be there until you see that he's ready to see you. Then let him see you. See, neither of these women were perfect. Neither of these women were perfect. But here's what happens. God spoke through both Ruth and Naomi to each other to answer the core question of who am I? And what do I do? And I think these are the same reasons why you and I want to so desperately hear the voice of God in our lives. We so badly want to hear what God is trying to say to us because we struggle to answer those same questions. Who am I? What should I be doing? Who am I, God? What what, what is my identity? What should I be doing right now? What, What is my purpose? Why have you placed me here with the life that I have? What is it that you want me to do? And maybe you're thinking right now, good for them. I'm glad they figured it out. But how do I know if those speaking to me are speaking on behalf of God? I would encourage you at some point to read the remainder of the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful story of restoration and just God's grace. And Naomi, or Ruth, eventually marries Boaz, and he takes care of both Ruth and Naomi. It's it's an amazing story that unfolds. 
But easily at any moment, Naomi and Ruth easily could have given up. They could have lost hope. They could have decided that this is just who I am. They could have listened to all the voices around them and just decided I'm done. I give up. I'm not going to move forward. I'll never know who I am. I'll never understand what I'm supposed to do. But they began to lean into one another and speak on behalf of God to each other. So how do you and I understand this? Here's what I believe. That God connects you and I, both of us, all of us, to people of character to do two things. To curb our pride and to cultivate our potential. Because too often we think we're more than we are. And so there's people that come into our lives that help remind us that we are not really all that great. And so they may say some things to us that are hard. They're difficult to hear. But they say it in love. And say it in a way that helps us curb our pride. And it helps us to cultivate our potential. I can tell you right now that God has sent my wife into my life to do those two things. She helps curb my pride that any time I think, man, that killed that message. She's like, hey, let me tell you a couple things that you need to understand. I'm just kidding. She doesn't always do sometimes, most of the time. She does. But she helps curb my pride. She helps remind me that I don't get to do what I do because of me. It's because of God who chooses to use me for whatever he chooses to use me in. It helps, she helps curb my pride and keep me humble. And she cultivates my potential that when I don't think I can, she's there to lean in and encourage me to do things that I don't know I could do. And so God uses people around us, those in our lives, the voices around us. So how do we know if they're the right voices? So I'm going to get extremely practical. I'm going to give you five questions that I believe these questions can become a filter. If you want to write them down, write them down. If you want to wait till the last one comes up, we'll let all five sit on the screen a little longer so you can just take a picture of all five instead of just filling your phone with multiple pictures. But let me give you some questions. And these questions are basically filters. How do you filter out the voices in your life that are trying to speak into you? And how do you know whether or not they're really speaking on behalf of God to move you in the right direction? Because we all have voices that are always speaking. But not all of those voices have God's best interest in mind for you. So let me give you these questions, and then we'll close. Question number one is this. Are they a person of character? Are they a person of character? You consider the source that is speaking into your life. If they are not a person of character, if they are not a person that you would trust, then more than likely they are not going to speak on God's behalf into your life. Question number two, do we have a reliable relational track record? Do we have a reliable relational track record? Do they know me? Do I know them? Have we been connected for a while? Have we been friends for a while? Have we been family for a while? Have we, did I just meet them like last weekend you know, through a friend and then they're calling me going, hey, can I help you out, figure some things in your life? And then they're speaking all these things into you and then you're like, oh man, I should change everything about me. You don't know them and they don't know you. So do you have a reliable relational track record? Number three, are there words to me encouraging and edifying? Scripture teaches us in the New Testament that, that the words that come out of our mouths should be, should be used to encourage, to edify, to build one another up. Are they constantly just tearing you down? Is it constantly negative? Are they just always just beating you down to the ground? Or are they trying to lift you up? But not every voice needs to be that voice. So number four, do they help me identify blind spots? That might hold me back. Do they help me see maybe that there's some character flaws? There's some things in me that I need to work on. 
Do they help me find the blind spots? Maybe there's certain people in my life that I don't see very well in certain lights and I need, to, I need to take off the blinders, but I have a hard time removing the blinders because, you know, it's my mom and I don't want to think my mom would ever want to try to manipulate me and your wife is constantly saying, hey, your mom is manipulating you, but you're like, I, you got the blinders on, you can't see it. Those voices come into our lives and they speak life into us and they say, hey, listen, there's maybe some things that you need to, you need to see differently and So do they help me identify blind spots that might hold me back? And number five, the last question is this. Are are the things they say consistent with what Scripture teaches? Because I'm going to weigh everything somebody says to me through Scripture. As a young kid growing up in church, I used to have people come up to me all the time. And I don't know if it was just the type, type of church that I was raised in, but people always felt like they had some prophetic word for my life and I had, I had people that would stop me at, uh, at a restaurant. I worked at a restaurant. I had a lady once grab my hand at a restaurant and, and try to tell me what I was going to be when I got older. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to be fired if you don't let go of my hand. Like, I need to go serve food to that table over there. And like, but those were the kind of things that would happen to me all the time. And I, and I would hear those things. And then I would have to go back and sift them out. I don't even know that person. They don't know me. And what they said doesn't match up with Scripture at all. And so you have to weigh out every voice that comes into your life. And what I would encourage you to do, what I would encourage you to do today is to give weight to wise voices in your life. Give weight to wise voices. Voices that can go through the five questions, the filter, trusted mentors, people in your growth group, people that know you. You give weight to those voices. And then you run the voices whose words you might give weight to through the filter. And if they kind of come short, if they're not consistent with God's word, if they, if they don't have a consistent track record, if they're not really a person of character, doesn't mean you have to cut them out of your life, but you spend less time listening to them. You don't give them the weight that maybe you think you should give them. You can still love them. They can still be in your life. You can still care for them but you remove them from a place of prominent influence in your life because their voice doesn't match up. Their voice is not the voice of God in your life. And why would you do this in the first place? Why not just live your life, take all the voices, figure it out on your own terms? I just think your self-worth should not be handed over to strangers. I think your value shouldn't be handed over to people that you don't know. I don't think your identity should be wrapped up in in the opinions of others. I don't think the way you feel about yourself or think about yourself should be attached to somebody else's opinion of you that doesn't really know you. And I think what we need to learn how to do is understand what God thinks about us. Who God thinks you are. That when he says you're a child of his, you are. When he says that You're a joint heir with his son. You are. When he says that you're loved, when he says that there's nothing that you could ever do that could separate you from the love of God, there is nothing that you could ever do that would separate you from the love of God. So unfortunately, we begin to hear other voices. And my encouragement to you is lean in. Start to hear the voice of God. Whether it's through scripture, as we talked about last week, or it's through others that he brings into your life to be his voice in your life. So let's pray this morning.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank.